0: And question 29, how can we be saved only by faith in Jesus Christ and in his substitutionary atoning death on the cross? So we're going to begin with a question this morning. How is a sinful person made right with a righteous God? kind of an eternal question. How can a sinful person be made right with a righteous God? In a way, that really, there, this is the most important question and the most important answer you can have. And this was the material question that governed the Reformation. Today, we're in a series on the five solas of the reformation we've begun a couple of weeks ago and here are the five solas sola scriptura which is scripture alone sola gratia grace alone sola fide faith alone solus christus christ alone soli deo gloria to the glory of god alone we're marking the 500th anniversary a couple weeks ago of martin luther nailing those 95 theses onto the church door which in many ways, marks this beginning of this Reformation. And these were the five slogans and uh, mottos and uh, uh, kind of uh, pillars on which the Reformation uh, was based. Today, we're looking at the question sola fide, which goes to that material question of the Reformation, the material question of all time. How can a sinful person be made right with a righteous God, And the answer was sola fide, Latin, sola fide, meaning faith alone. And this is actually shorthand for a little bit longer answer. That is justification by faith alone. Justification. How can a sinner be justified before a holy God? So this morning, there's going to be a couple of key terms I think we're going to need to know. And so I know we have a lot of kids in here, too. And I probably said the word justification and they their mind kind of went off somewhere else. But these are a couple of really important words that we need to to grasp. The words righteous, righteousness, justification, just justified. Those. It's kind of unfortunate how in English we have righteousness and justification. They don't look like they go together. But uh, in Greek, in the New Testament, those are all connected to the same uh, root word. Justification and righteousness. All the same root word in Greek. But it's basically how can you achieve an acceptable relationship with God. God, there is only one who is righteous and that is God. He is perfect and sinless. But how can sinful people who are unrighteous then attain, get into relationship with that God? Now in the Middle medieval church, the Roman Catholic church in that day, they did have an answer to this question. How can a sinful person be justified, be made right with a righteous God? The answer to that was, well, faith in Jesus Christ and works and doing works of righteousness. In the medieval uh, Roman Catholic Church, it was you needed to believe in Jesus, but you also needed to perform the sacraments of the church. And then you needed to do works of righteousness. And then your justification would be accomplished at the end of your life and even beyond uh, at the end of not only your believing, but also your doing. That was what the medieval church taught in those days and this is connected to the uh sola that we saw last week sola gratia sola gratia grace alone remember the medieval church viewed grace as kind of uh this giving of fusing of an ability helping uh, of the ability that you already have grace was infusion or like i uh the analogy I used last week was grace is like caffeine. I can kind of get the things done in during the day that I need to do. But I just kind of, uh, I can do it without the coffee. But if I have the coffee, that, that actually helps. The Catholic Church believed, no, every single person has the ability to do good. They just need a little help. And that help is grace. So see how these two things are connected. So then they would say, so you get a little bit of help from grace and that through your faith, your trusting in God and doing the works that God has laid out for you to do, uh, you will be justified. And this process wouldn't be completed until uh, at death or after death. Hence the idea of a purgatory kind of to work off the things that couldn't have been accomplished. Only then will your would, could you be justified so what did the reformers have to think about this the reformers answered that question how can a sinful person be made right with a righteous god their answer was no it is not faith plus works it is faith alone sola fide They based this on the very first Sola that we looked at, Sola Scriptura. They went back to the sources. They went back to the Greek uh, and the Hebrew. They looked at uh, what did the scriptures say? Because remember, the medieval church said, uh, well, we listen to the scriptures, but we also listen to the church tradition. And then we also have another authority, which is the. The magisterium, the pope and his bishops, they get to determine what what the truth is. The reformers said, no, all of the truth resides in God's word, scripture and scripture alone. So they went back to that scripture to answer this question. And they noticed a couple of things. One, the Bible that was in use in the medieval church was the Latin Vulgate. And in the Latin Vulgate, the language there is of imparted righteousness. So what you were supposed to do is God would kind of give you the means that you needed to do in order to gain righteousness. But what the readers of the New Testament in reading the Greek come to discover was that the language there is not of an imparted righteousness that you can gain through your efforts Through a long series of process. No righteousness is a declaration. Of righteousness. It's declared. Righteousness. And they got this. From the scriptures. The reformers answered no. We are not justified. We are not made righteous. Over time. In a process that involves. Our contribution. No we are declared. Righteous a proclamation it's a verdict that is given by god the righteous one himself it's not something that will happen in the future depending on your ability to cooperate with this kickstart of grace no it's a past reality for those who believe in christ the reformers would say they would point out also there's a distinction here between justification, God's declaration of you, and then your sanctification, your, your growing in holiness. The medieval church kind of lumped that all together. And so the reformers came to this from back from their search back in the scriptures. So this morning I asked you to turn to Romans chapter three, and this is going to be our passage for today. And so I want you to note these key terms, okay? Righteousness or righteous, and justified. And remind yourself those are, those terms are related. They they come from the same root in the Greek. And if you if you really want to get you know, kind of serious here. If you have two, if you have one of our church pens that has multicolors in it, you could go through and underline every time righteous or justified appears in one color. And then you could look at the other key term here and that is believing or belief and faith. You could do that in another color. That was an exercise that I had done this past week and it actually is quite colorful. And so you might enjoy uh, doing this yourself. But I want us to, as we go through here, we're going to spend some time looking at this passage. And I want you to notice what, what the reformers saw. And here we have Paul's arguments in Romans chapter 1. He begins by talking about the pagan world that does not know God. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed against all unrighteousness. That's chapter 1. And the really good moral people are on uh, listening to Paul saying, Yeah. Paul, go get them. And then Paul turns around and goes, Oh, you moral people who think you have it all together, guess what? This he does in chapter 2. He says, even you Jews who are guilty, who have the law, you yourselves are guilty of breaking the law. You're guilty of doing wrong. Do you preach against stealing? Do you steal? And then he concludes in chapter 3 of Romans by saying all are guilty. No one is righteous. So you've got to understand where he's led us to at this point. And so we begin in verse 21. And actually, I would say let's back up and read verse 20. (laughs) Because here's the principle laid out. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified. There it is. Verse 1. In his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So no one will be justified through the works of the law, Paul concludes at the end of that long section in Romans chapter three. And then he says this, these most beautiful words. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So here's a righteousness of God that's actually a righteousness from God to those who believe through faith in Jesus Christ. He continues, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. There you go again. By his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation is a big word here. It means as atoning sacrifice. It has uh, echoes and references to um, Leviticus and the sprinkling of blood, the shedding of the blood. This Jesus does so that we could be justified and that it needs to, as Paul continues, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So notice those key terms. The medieval church would say, well, it's faith. Plus, you have to do some works. You have to contribute something. But if you contribute something, then you could be proud about what it is that you had contributed. Right? Even if it's very little and you had to contribute something, even if it was the smallest of amounts, you could boast in your ability in having done even that smallest of amounts. Is that what you get from what Paul is talking about in this passage? He actually expressly deals with that in the next verses here. Verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded, he says, by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Listen to what he says. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? He continues. Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one. And he will justify the circumcised, that is the Jews, by faith. And the uncircumcised by what? Through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Faith upholds the law. Faith It's always been about faith, he says. So justification by faith alone actually eliminates any boasting. So you get this. Paul is driving this home quite clearly here. We're not justified by a combination of believing and faith. He says, no, we are justified by faith, by trust in Christ alone. Faith in Christ is basically the admission that you contribute nothing. Faith in Christ is the admission that you basically contribute nothing. You are counted as righteous by God based on the merits of another. And that this is given to you as a gift. I often get this question, but uh, isn't faith a work? Isn't faith a good or righteous deed? In other words, isn't faith our contribution to our salvation? The answer to that, and I'm surprised how often I've gotten that question in the past. The answer to that is no. Faith is not a work. Faith is not a contribution that we make to our salvation. Now, to be sure, you have to have faith in Christ to be saved. No one is saved without faith in Christ. But faith is the only thing that we do, the only thing that we can do that is not a work. It's the only thing that we do that contributes nothing. Okay? Let me me explain what I mean here. We aren't saved. uh, uh, Faith is not a work. That's the point that Paul is making here in the next chapter in Romans chapter 4. He's continuing this whole uh, discussion about justification. Is it by the works or is it by faith? And he continues. He just made it quite clear that we are justified by faith alone apart from works. Apart from... The works of the law. And so then, Paul in Romans 4, he wants to actually go back to the law, wants to go back to Genesis to give us an illustration of, uh, of this truth. What shall we say then? What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? So he takes us all the way back. To Abraham, even before Moses. And he says, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And he quotes Genesis 15, verse six. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So now here it gets to this question of is faith a work or not? This is what Paul deals with in the next two verses. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Okay, so he's talking about those who work. When you work, you get wages. I hope most of us, right? And if you get wages, those are your do that's not a gift or let me give like an illustration this this week or in the next 2 weeks when you get paid how many of you have a job and you're getting a paycheck right okay so this week when you get paid i know they don't do this anymore actually a paper paycheck everything's electronic but but just Follow with me here, okay? You get paid or you get the paycheck stub or you get the email that's saying the deposit is made. Uh, What would it be like for you to go to your employer or to your boss, enter into the office, kind of get down on one knee and say, thank you for that gracious, wonderful gift of my pay this week. Can you imagine? Like, what would your boss do? You know, would you get you'd have to go to some sort of training, you know, uh, like you'd have to go to counseling. Right. Why? Paul's Paul's point here is, no, you don't understand that in the economics of those kinds of things works is your contribution and you get something back for your contribution. And that what your employer gives you is not a gift. It's your due. Paul takes that illustration with work. And then now he directly contrasts this with what he's been talking about. Justification as a gift by faith. Look what he says in verse five. Back up to verse four. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as is due. Verse five, but and to the one who does not work, but believes, see the contrast. Faith is not a work. One who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. And then notice, or just kind of want to go through the rest of uh, chapter four. And I'll stop and make some comments here and just take us the rest of the way. Because this really is a a beautiful argument that Paul wants to make. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. There it is again. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. Meaning Abraham didn't do the works in order to gain the righteousness. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still Uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherence of the law who are to be the heirs. If it is the adherence of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherence of the law, but also to the one Who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed. Who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist in hope. He believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith. When he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. And when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. See, the contents here is he's believing in the promise of God, even though he was almost 100 years old. And they had not had this child that God had promised. How would he have multiple descendants as numerous as the sand of the seashore if he didn't have one true heir from His own loins. But he believed. Paul continues, verse 20. No, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Again, quoting that passage, Genesis 15. So we are justified. We are made right, declared righteous, not by faith, plus something that we do in works. Paul is clear, spent a great deal of ink with his quill on the parchment or whatever they wrote on to make this point through the life of Abraham that we are justified by believing in the promise of God apart from works. This is what the reformers discovered. Now, the medieval church would have an objection to this. They had a a serious uh, kind of challenge to this sort of thought. Not based in scripture, mind you, but uh, it was an objection nonetheless. And so to do that, I want to introduce you to uh, someone. This is Robert Bellarmine or Roberto Bellarmino. I believe he was uh, an Italian. Uh, he was from the Jesuit school. Anybody familiar with this one? Anybody heard of school called Bellarmine? Like, you know, there's some Catholic schools named after him. And for good reason. He was a cardinal. Uh, he was a professor of theology. Ended up becoming kind of like the rector of, uh, of an entire uh, Catholic college. He was canonized as a saint in uh, 1930 and there's another category in the church besides just Saints they have another category called doctors of the church and I think that there's a couple of dozen doctors of the Catholic Church he was one of those 36 or so doctors of the church so he was a really important figure and he comes if you could see by the dates there 1542 to 1621 kind of comes in the later decades Of the century when this Reformation was happening. And he was one of the most important figures in the Counter Reformation. So, as the Reformation was spreading across Europe, uh, the Catholics had to respond with this kind of Counter Reformation. And he was one of the leading uh, supporting figures in that that happened at the latter half of that um, decade, or latter half of that century. And although he comes uh, decades after. Luther and John Calvin and other reformers. Um, his views on this sola we have been talking about, sola fide, capture what the church thought at those, in those days and at those times, what they thought of justification, sola fide, justification by faith alone. And this is what he wrote on one occasion. The greatest of all Protestant heresies is, what would you answer? How would you answer this question? Justification by faith. Justification by faith. Close. It's kind of related to that. This is what he said. This is, and this is response to justification by faith. The greatest of all Protestant heresies is assurance. The greatest of all Protestant heresies is Assurance. And it makes sense in a way for him to say that because if justification is not by faith alone, if justification is not by grace alone, but God's giving you the spiritual kick that you need for you to do what you already have able to do, that it is not based on faith alone, the merits of Christ and his work and just the mere receiving of that as a gift and not based on that, but on your trusting in Christ and then doing the works of righteousness if it needs to be completed by your effort efforts and cooperation if uh, if grace is not free and sovereign then something always needs to be done always needs to be added to final justification for it to finally be ours if all of that is true then you would be vehemently against anyone being assured of their salvation because there's always more you could do. And the church that the reformers were battling against in those days were battling against that idea. How we don't want people to be assured that they're right with God, because what what would that lead them to do? Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way. If final justification is dependent on something we have to complete. It is not possible to enjoy assurance of salvation. For then, theologically, final justification is contingent and uncertain. And it is impossible for anyone to be sure of salvation. But. If Christ has done everything, if justification is by grace without contributory works, if it is received by faith's empty hands, then assurance, even full assurance is possible for every believer. And then he concludes by saying these words. No wonder Bellarmine thought full free Unfettered grace was dangerous. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. How can a person who is a sinner be right with a righteous God purely by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Now, the reformers would answer this this challenge because the accusation was usually given. Well, then, there, then you just are giving permission to lawlessness you're giving permission to sin they would say no 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 you're not understanding what we're saying we're not saying that good works aren't necessary those are those are the natural byproduct of a changed life somebody who has received this glorious freedom of being saved by grace through faith alone it doesn't mean christians are now permitted to sin as a matter of fact Paul was very adamant against that. Even that we've looked at chapters 3 and 4 and, and 5 into 5 of uh, Romans. Paul gets to chapter 6 and he addressed that very question in chapter 6. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, by no means. No, you don't understand. By Through justification by faith, you're united with Jesus and you've died as Jesus have, has died. Do you know that you been baptized in christ and if you've been baptized with christ you've been baptized into his death you're dead to those things even he said uh, elsewhere like in ephesians chapter two where he says this great statement we looked at last week for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is a gift of god not as a result of works so that no one may boast All of that is immediately followed by verse 10, which says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good works. The difference, the difference is we don't do the works in order to get the justification. That's the difference. And so faith means to believe. That our souls are saved, that it is by the work of the spirit of God, using the word of God in our hearts to produce, to produce faith in us, to trust. Faith is in Christ um, means that we believe that everything that God says that God has revealed in his word about his promises are true. And that we can rely on. It's recognizing that this comes from God himself. By faith we are enabled to entrust our souls to that truth. Saving faith focuses directly on Christ. And we're going to look at Christ alone next week. Accepting. Receiving. Resting on Jesus alone for our declaration being declared righteous before God forever now faith can either be weak or strong our ability to lean on those promises uh, isn't a fixed state kind of goes up and down but the object of our faith remains the same and that object of our faith is Christ and the promise of Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection for us the question that we asked in our catechism question how can we be saved the answer is only by faith in Jesus Christ and his substitutionary atoning sacrifice on the cross so there's two things how can we apply this to ourselves well one a couple of things we need to realize That this truth of this gospel of justification as illustrated through Abraham is for us. Notice where I left off. Verse 23 of Romans chapter 4. This is how Paul ends. Remember, he just had been talking this long exposition about the example of Abraham and that it wasn't a work. His believing was trusting in the promises of God. And then he says this in verse 23. But the words... It was counted to him. Now remember, he's quoting Genesis 15. Back up and see this in verse 22. That is why his faith was, quote, counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. This is for us. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our lord and who delivered who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification and then here we have these unfortunate chapter breaks because the flow of thought is the exact same and sometimes people stop here therefore paul says since we have been justified by faith We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder how the medieval church responded to the reformers pointing out that verb is in the past tense. We have been justified. They kept arguing it's a future thing that will happen uh, based on your contingent efforts and how they... We have been justified by faith and we have peace, present tense, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. First thing to know, friends, this is for you. What was written for Abraham is true for you if you trust in Christ. You have peace. You have been justified. And that is the source of our rejoicing and glorying in God. So that's the first thing that we need to know. Know it's for you. And second, rest in the assurance of that. Rest in the assurance of that. I I saw a great interview with a pastor in Washington, D.C. named uh, Mark Dever, who was asked kind of this question about the Reformation. And Mark Dever has his Ph.D. in um, church history. Um, And it, it was interesting to see him light up and talk about that, because this was the main question. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther said this on this article, justification by faith alone the church either stands or falls and Mark Dever was asked about what it was like in the church in that century in Europe in that century he said you, you don't understand for centuries people had no assurance that they could actually know God and enter into a relationship with God they'd have no assurance that if they died that night, they would not know what would lie next. And assuming purgatory, they would have to go to purgatory and they'd have to be there for a long time. Now, you know why now the selling of indulgences was such a big business and was quite the uh, money generator for building all of these buildings because people had to give some sort of financial contribution over it. And so Mark Dever put it this way. He said, when this truth of justification by faith started to spread around into the common man, he said, you mean I can know that I am saved? You mean that I can know that I have right relationship with God, that I can have that assurance, not based on any efforts of my own, because I think those would be so unreliable that it's purely on the accomplished, full, complete merits of another. You mean I can know? And he said, friends, no wonder this lit up Europe. No wonder the church had to have a counter-reformation to tamp down all of this assurance that was spreading around. So friends, know that this truth is for us. And know this assurance. How can we be saved? Only by faith in Jesus Christ and a substitutionary atoning sacrifice on the cross. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the truth that your word has conveyed here to us. God, your word and your word alone is our source of authority. We're grateful that you have breathed this out and that we could turn to these words in Scripture and to be assured of the work that Christ has done for us. God, that our final justification is not dependent upon my efforts and ability, my contributions. But God, that all of us can rest assured in the truth of our salvation to all who believe in your son. God, I pray that everyone here, for those who have made a decision to trust in you years ago, God, I pray that you strengthen them in their faith. I pray that the words here just leap off of the page and deepen their faith and reliance upon Christ. And then have the the smile of joy of salvation that was accomplished on their behalf. And God, I pray for those who have a misunderstanding of what faith is. God, I pray that that this has cleared that up or if they have questions about this to seek more. This truth that we can know that we are right with you because of our just trusting in Christ. God, I pray that that wonderful truth that lit up Europe, Europe will light up this congregation. And God, we pray for a world around us that is saturated with information and social media and television and have such a terrible misunderstanding of what the gospel is, what Christianity is. God, I pray that you would use us to reach those who have don't know what the truth is that they will experience the truth through us and through your word. So God, we ask that you would send us out as bearers of this wonderful, amazing news that we are justified by faith alone, in Christ alone. God, we ask you to do this through us. For the sake of your glory and the name of your son, And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Let's stand for closing benediction. Brothers and sisters, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go.